Well, our service this morning has, has been really great so far. Really enjoyed being together with you this morning. As we get our thoughts started this morning, I thought I'd share with you kind of why I decided on this topic. A couple weeks ago at work, a, a coworker of mine came to me and she said, I've had some problems recently. I've had some anxiety, I've had some stress, and I've even started to have some panic attacks. And if you're in my shoes, what do you tell her? That's a, that's a tough spot to be in because that's a really touchy subject nowadays. What I told her and what I tell generally everyone that has any type of problem is, well, have you been to church recently? And I, I got to thinking about that response of, have you been to church recently? What is going to church one, two, maybe three hours a week? How is that really going to get rid of this deep-rooted anxiety that's causing panic attacks, or really any sin problem, how's that, going to, how's that going to help? Think about teeth. I'd like to use something that I know a lot about, and just imagine in your life, you just decide one day, I'm done brushing. I'm done flossing, but every six months, I'm going to get those guys cleaned. You're crazy to think that one cleaning every six months is going to fix your problem and going to keep your teeth perfectly healthy. It just doesn't work that way. And you're crazy to think that driving to a building, sitting in a pew for one, two, maybe three hours a week is going to fix your sin problem. It just doesn't work that way. This morning, we're going to talk about checking the church box. And this is something that a lot of, a lot of Christians have gotten in the habit of, is just wanting to check this box. And it's the problem, the reason behind this is our society has d- given church a definition that's just not accurate. So this morning, I want to give you an understanding of what church truly is. And I found through my studies that there's a, there's a huge difference between the assembly of the church and the community of the church. And I hope that you'll see that this morning as we get started. But as we do this, there's a really important word, a really important Greek word that I'm going to refer to a lot in this sermon. And that's the word ekklesia. We only have one Greek word that you have to learn this morning. It's ekklesia. Really easy. And I don't want to make it complicated, but I think it's really important that we understand what this word means because it's used 115 times in the New Testament. This word translates as church. That's where we get the word church from. And so to understand what this word means, I want to go back and I want to look at what did this word mean just to an ordinary person? Not a Christian could be a Christian, but just in general society back in the first century, what did this word mean? We're going to look at Acts chapter 19. And what happened here was Paul, um, he had just gotten to Ephesus, and Paul, just like he always did, he was going to preach Jesus. He was proclaiming Jesus, and the people of this city found out about that. They didn't like that. Their God, the person who they sacrificed to, the person who they worshiped, was Diana. And Diana, or, and, and these people didn't like that. So they went and they got Paul and Paul's companions and they captured them. They imprisoned them. They took them to this, this amphitheater. They rushed them to an amphitheater and they convene this big meeting in this, in this amphitheater. And they're trying to figure out what to do with these Christian troublemakers. Acts chapter 19, 32 says, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly or the ecclesia was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. And so this is an example of an ecclesia, just a a meeting where people came together to figure out what they were going to do. A lot of times it's used um, in history. You go back and look at this word in history. 
And they would have meetings outside of the city. They were called out of the city to go and discuss, how are we going to rebel? How are we going to overthrow these city officials? What are we going to do? And so that's what ecclesia meant to these first century people. It's just an assembly of citizens. But the first time that it's used to describe God's children, God's people, is by Christ. We find that in Matthew chapter 16. Christ says, I will build my church or my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so you think about that. It'd be odd. You, as a first century person, you know what an ecclesia is. You see these gatherings of people. You see people going outside of the city and, and trying to figure out how they're going to rebel or revolt. And then Christ uses that word, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my assembly. And they see these gatherings of people, and I think that's, that's why he chose this word, because he wanted to gather his people. And that's specifically why he, what he wants us to be. He wants us to be uh, his assembly, his, his people. I mentioned it was a Greek word. It's a compound Greek, Greek word. And so you think about a compound noun that we have. Think about the word toothbrush. You know what tooth, a tooth is. You know what a brush is. And a toothbrush is a brush for your tooth. It's a compound noun. Same way with this word ecclesia. It's made up of two different roots, ek meaning out of and kaleo meaning called or to call. And so you put those two words together, you get the word ecclesia, the called out. And so you think about um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called kaleo you out of ek, darkness, into his marvelous light. So that's what we are to be. We're to be his own special people. We're, to, we're called to be God's children. We're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this helps us understand truly what those two words in combination, what that looks like, what that means. So first and foremost, ecclesia is the community of God's people. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the church, all the people, and the Lord added to the ecclesia daily those who were being saved. Romans 16.5, likewise, greet the ecclesia that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. And so most cases, ecclesia is referring to the community of God's people. It's not referring to an assembly or anything like that. Most cases, it's the community of God's people. It's the invisible group. It's it's this this made-up gathering of God's people as a whole together. And it can't be seen. It's intangible. It also includes only the saved. And that's a big distinction between the community of God's people and what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. The ecclesia, the community of God's people, is only made up of the people who have been saved, the called out, the people who are, are called out of darkness into, into light. But it's also in reference a lot of times to the assembly of God's people. 1 Corinthians 14, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the ecclesia and let him speak to himself and to God. And so you can see in this sense it's used as a general assembly or a gathering of God's people for worship or for assembly. And so it's, a, it's physically assembling together at a building, at a house, certain times at temples, um, and simply just can be seen as a gathering of people. The difference between this and the community of God's people is that this is the saved and the unsaved. There's people here that are unsaved. 
There's people here this morning that are saved too. And so this here is this assembly of God's people. The church service that we're in this morning is, includes both the saved and the unsaved. And so I think it's important to, to make a distinction between the two, the visible church versus the invisible church. This community of God's people versus the assembly of God's people. When you say, I'm going to church tomorrow, what do you mean? Generally, what you mean is, I'm going to the gathering or I'm going to the, to the assembly tomorrow morning. That's the visible church. That's, that's what we're doing this morning. We're gathering together. But then you also hear people make the statement or, the, or ask the question, well, where do you go to church? And that, that simply is not a biblical concept. That's, that's never, you can't find that answer or that, that example anywhere in the New Testament. And the problem is, the, and the reason behind that, this word church as a building or as a corporate entity, that wasn't developed or invented until around 500 AD. That, that there, there was no, no one even thought to ask the question of, well, where do you go to church? And the reason because of, for that is that there was, there's so much division now. You have different denominations, different sects, different religions, and so people have come up with this question of, well, where do you go to church? And we may call this building a church because of the English language, but that's not a New Testament concept. We go to an ecclesia, we go to an assembly because we are the ecclesia. We are the community of God. There is no ecclesia, there's no, no assembly without the ecclesia, without the community, without the people of God. Without the ecclesia, it's just a building. It's just a, a temple, it's just a house. It becomes the ecclesia when the ecclesia shows up, when the community of God's people shows up. And this concept has really messed up our society because we think, based on our definition of societal church, is that we can show up to church, we can check the box, and we've done it. And that's simply not the concept. And so for, for a few minutes, I want to talk about community in the ecclesia, what it means to have community, because I think it's important because of the definition of what ecclesia is and what church is, it's important that we understand what community is and what it means to be a part of community. I was reading through my Bible, and I took this picture the other day. A vital church grows. And when I see that, what, is it, what does it make you want to do? It makes you want to read it. That, that looks, that's something that I want this church to do. I want this body of believers to be able to grow. And so, I, Peter, um, as we look at Acts chapter 2, um, Peter has just finished preaching to the, to the Jews, um, and it's on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after um, the Passover. And we're going to read that. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We go on. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided among them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so you can kind of see where I'm going with this. They had everything together. They were, had all things common. Daily they were together. They ate together. 
They even sold all their things, all their possessions. We'll find out later they sold all their land, and they just were all in it together. It was all about the community. They had all things in common. And so I ask you, in a sense, is this what our ecclesia, our local group of believers, is this our attitude? Is this our mindset? Are we involved in community? I don't even know some of your names, and some of you don't know my name. Part of that's my fault, but part of it's your fault too. We need to make sure that we're part of the community of God. I looked at a lot of research um, as I was studying this, and Pew Research did a, a study, and they asked how involved are Christians in their congregations? And they, they ranked it from high, medium, to low. How involved are you? And high was defined as um, mul- attending multiple assemblies, going to Bible studies outside of the church service, seeing Christian brothers outside of the assembly, attending prayer groups, things like that. That was considered high. And they ranked each one of these uh, different churches, Church of Christ, Baptist, and they, and they, uh, they came up with percentages. You know where Church of Christ fell at as, as far as high? 44%. 44% of the Church of Christ people that participated in this survey said that they were highly involved in their church. And that ranked well below most other churches, most other Assembly of God, Baptist, Methodist, Mormons, they were above 70%. You know, I spent a lot of time when I was in dental school with Mormons, and they are so community-oriented. They do everything together. On the, at night, they're together. On the weekends, together. On Sunday, they spend all day together. And you can see it. And so I ask you, in your life, are you a part of this 44%? Or are you a part of the other 56% that's not as involved? I think that's an important question that we, need to, that we need to look at. I think it's important that we desire to be a part of the ecclesia. Do you desire to be here? Do you desire to be a part of this group, this, a part of this community of God? Or is it just something that you're looking to check the box on a Sunday morning? Do you look forward to seeing the people here? Or is that just a side part of your faith? Is that just something that's kind of irritating to you that you just have to do? Another study by Pew, um, they, they asked, what, are your, what, what is important and why do you go to the church? And they gave a bunch of different things here to become, and these are all great reasons, but these were what people deemed as, as important. Number one, to become closer to God so children will have moral foundation, to make me a better person, for comfort in times of trouble and sorrow, or I find the sermons valuable, then these are all really good reasons to go. But to be part of the community, to be part of the people, the body of believers that believe the same thing, that fell sixth on the list. About 50% of people deemed that as an important reason to go to church. And we've defined church as the community of believers. And so that's, that's what our society by defining church the way that we do, that's, that's what happens. Church is the community of God's people. It is the community of, of God's believers. That's what church is. Among those who rarely attend religious services, nearly 40% said they don't go because they practice their faith in other ways. What does that mean? That's a, that's a, weird, a weird statement. You've probably heard people say that. I've heard people say that. 
what that tells me is that there's little desire to be a part of this community. There's little desire to be involved in people's lives. And I think the, the root cause of this or the reason behind this is we're self-absorbed people. Our culture, we are so self-absorbed. In, in, every, in every one of our lives, there's something, some part of our life that we're self-absorbed in. So I ask you this morning, do you desire to be around the people here or do you desire to be more involved in what you want to do? You think about me versus we, and I ask you as we go through this, decide which one are you? Are you more about me or are you more about we? When you think about individuality versus community, an individualistic mindset, it's all about individual achievement. It's all about self-expression. How can I portray me? How can I show people what I think? It's all about being self-centered, non-committal. We've seen people that are non-committal, and, and if it's something that I don't care about, I tend to be non-committal. And so you can see what people like to do by what they commit to do. And you see community, and you think about community and the we mindset. It's all about group success. It's relationship. It's, it's authentic, authenticity. And you can see that by how people feel about each other, how they care about each other, how they love each other, and how committed they are to what they're doing and how committed they are to being together. And community is what God calls us to be as the ecclesia, as the church of God. Acts 4.32, so we skipped two, two chapters down from what we read earlier. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. They bought the, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. That's what community looks like. Does this look like an individualistic mindset at all? These people were committed. They sold everything that they had so they, that they could be a part of the community. And I'm not saying that we need to sell everything that we have, but we've got to do something. We've got to be a part of community, whatever that looks like. And these people in Acts continued to love each other. They continued this mindset. They were so part of community, they shared everything. Do you desire to be a part of the ecclesia like these people did, or are you disconnected from the ecclesia? And I really want you to think about that. Are you disconnected? Are you just showing it up here just to check the box? Or are you truly committed to the church? Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 for just a second. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day, day approaching. And in the past, this verse has been used to preach church attendance. And I, I don't think that's specifically what this verse was meant to do. Um, this is simply just meeting together, gathering together. Being together for meals, being together um, for whatever, singing, for game night, whatever. Just being together. And the reason that I think that is you need to understand the verse before that, verse, verse number 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then there's a comma. That comma means that that thought continues. It explains what this means. And so let us stir up one another to... Stir up love and good works. How do we do that? By not forsake, 
forsaking being together, not being uh, apt, quick to, to miss things. And so how are you going to stir people up to love and good works if you're not around them? And I'm not trying to say that church attendance isn't important at all because I'm, I'm actually trying to say the exact opposite. The problem is we've set the bar too low. And that's what we've done when we've set the standard as you need to show up to church three times a week. You need to show up Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and Wednesday night. We've set the bar too low. That's not what church is. We need to raise the bar because church is defined as the community and being together, having things common together. The standard for the Christian is to provoke one another to love and good works. How do we do that? By showing up, by being involved in the assembly, by being involved in not just the assembly, but the community of of believers. Every facet of our lives, we need to be involved in each other's lives. So here's two phrases or two, two questions to ask you. Is it possible that there are those with perfect assembly attendance who have done no more to love the brethren than how are you in passing in the foyer? This morning, the first thing I said when I got here was, how are you? And it's just a habit. It's hard to break. I've been studying this for four weeks, and that was the first thing out of my mouth. The ecclesia, the church, isn't superficial. It's not just a how are you. It's how are you doing? It's loving the brethren. It's, it's committed. It's authentic. It's deep. It's concern. Love for the brethren. Is it possible that there are those who have perfect assembly attendance but never see or talk to the Christian family outside the building? We need to evaluate the way that we live. We need to evaluate the things that we're involved in. Is being a part of the Christian family important to us? Is it evident in our lives by the things that we do, the people that we see? We need to think about that. One way people have gotten out of out of being a part of the church or out of being, being outside of the ecclesia is through this phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious. And you've probably heard people say that before. I know I've, I've heard a lot of people in the last five years or so say this. And it's a phrase that was pretty trendy about five to ten years ago. Um, basically, it's a way to say, I want the spirituality, I want to love God, but I want to do what I want to do. I want to be able to make my decisions. I want to be able to worship the way that I want to worship. Basically, I don't want to have to listen to what you say. I don't want to have to be involved in your life. I don't want to have to help you in any way, but I want to love God. In other words, I want to love God, but I don't want to have to love you. Do we think like that? Is that a mindset that we have? We really need to think about that. 72% of 20 to 30-year-olds said they were more spiritual than religious. That was a study done about 10 years ago, so these people are now 30 to 40 years old. It's a problem. People are so about their self-expression, about their self-centeredness, that they don't care about being involved in community. For example, Carrie comes up to me, and he, he looks at me and says, you're the coolest. You're awesome. I like being around you. I love everything that you do. I think we can be buddies. I think we can be really good friends. But your wife, Jordan, don't bring her around. I don't like the way she walks. I don't like the way she talks. I don't like the way she looks at me. But you and I, we can be buddies. We're going to be best friends. What am I going to say? 
No. There's no separation. That's my wife. We're one. We're together. You don't get her and not me, or you don't get me and not her. And in in a sense, that's what we try to do with Christianity. We try to love God, but when it comes to the brethren, they're just an irritation. I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to be around that. To love God, you've got to love God's people. We need to make sure that, that we're doing that. You can't love God without loving his church. Anne Greeley, she's a a professor at Sacred Heart University. I really like the quote that she said here. People seem not to have the time nor the energy or interest to delve deeply into any one faith or religious tradition. So they may move through collecting ideas, practices, and tenets that most appeal to the self, making no connections to groups or communities. And she's right. We're more connected than ever as a society. We're more superficially connected to everything. We're, we're connected to everything, but we're not deeply connected to anything. And that's a problem. And I want you to think about you. Are you superficially connected to everything or are you deeply connected to what matters? Has it affected you? I want to spend just a minute talking about virtual church. And I know this is probably going to step on some toes, but we've spent a little while uh, defining what church is. And we've seen over the last year and a half or so, a lot of churches turn to virtual assemblies, virtual church. We've got podcasts, we've got YouTube live stream, we've got uh, Facebook live, we've got podcasts, things like that. And that has been some people's only version of church or an assembly. People are still relying on that very, very heavily. Maybe not here, but a lot of our friends, a lot of our families still are involved in this. A lot of our coworkers, I've got coworkers that still go to church every Sunday on a computer, and it's, it's easy. You don't have to wake up early. You don't have to get the kids ready. You can go to church in your pajamas. You can drink your coffee right there on the couch. It's easy. But I think you can see, based on our definition of what church is, that this doesn't fit it. When we just show up, we, we open our computer up, we watch something, That's not being involved in church. It doesn't provide the community that ecclesia is defined as. Just like showing up here once a week doesn't meet the definition of what church is. Same thing. We need to really be figuring out, are we involved in the community of God? And and these, these online medias, they definitely served a purpose. They did a lot of good things. And I've seen these done in a very good way I've seen churches open up the the live stream for 45 minutes before, and you see all the church just talking and just just being part of that community and seeing how each other's been while we're in lockdown. That's what community is. That's what church is. I also have seen congregations where they did their live stream virtual church service, and then they would all meet together six feet apart, and they would sing in people's driveways to these people who were shut in. That's what church is. That's what ecclesia is, being part of that community. And it it really helped the people who were shut in, but it really, really helped the people who were gathering there as part of the community, as part of the church. Romans chapter 12, for for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
The ecclesia, the church, cannot function unless all of its members contribute together. It can't. You need to be involved. You've got to be involved in the church, not the assembly, the assembly as well, but the church. You've got to be involved. It needs unity. It needs oneness. It does that by all of its members working together. And so for the last part of our sermon, we're going to talk about oneness in the ecclesia. This is really the heart of the sermon. This is the important part. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read that here in just a minute. It's the perfect description of oneness. It's the perfect description of unity. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. There's that, that Greek word kaleo that makes up ecclesia. With all lowliness and gentleness, with, all, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope for your calling, of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. You bear with one another in love. You strive for unity he talks about bearing with one another in love. Keep the unity. Keep the bond of peace. What's a bond? What is a bond? I think about glue. It's together. It's oneness. There's no separation. You can't do these things if you don't show up. If you're not involved, you've got to be involved in the community of believers. And just like Every other New Testament church, the, the church at Ephesus had its issues. They had people of different backgrounds. They had different uh, ethnicities. That caused issues. But Paul said, you can still be one. You can still strive for that bond of peace. Paul stresses oneness in everything. And you don't experience that if you're not together. One important concept that we're going to use 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for is to show that unity is best achieved through diversity. The first 11 verses there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says the Spirit came and the Spirit handed out these different gifts to all the people. You got a different gift, you got a different gift, you got a different gift, you got a different gift. Not only that you would use your gift and only use your gift, and not that you would only use your gift and you would only use your gift, but that everybody together would use your gift together to grow the church, to be one, to be built up. Use it cooperatively, and it benefits everyone in that way. And then he goes on in verse 12. He says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink in one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So we can see through this that the unity of the church is made up through its diversity. He, he mentions Jews and Greeks. That, those people are what made up the church. You think about two people who were complete opposites. The Greeks had come into their cities and disrupted their way of life. It destroyed the way that they lived, the language that they spoke, the religion that they wanted to worship in. They hated each other. Slaves and free, those people are very opposite. 
someone who owns someone and someone's being who is being owned by someone. Two way different mindsets, ways of life. There's definite animosity between these two groups of people. And Paul says, you take those two groups of people and through oneness, they can be a family. God makes these two people a family. That's what diversity can, can accomplish. It makes unity. You've heard people say, well, it's just going to be easier. I'm going to get my family and we're going to have our church service. Or I'm going to get my friends, people who all believe the same thing that I do, and we're going to have our church service. We're going to be a family that way, and that, that's going to be the best thing for the group. And that's a problem, and I think, I think Paul is talking about that, and that's why he gives these illustrations. The problem is your, your family, your friends look a lot like you. And Paul uses the illustration of an eye here, and he says, if there were just eyes, if everybody was a bunch of eyes, where would the hearing be? And so I want you to imagine that you're an eye. You're an eye, your friends are an eye, your family are an eye, everyone around you is an eye. What happens if you're an eye and you get something in you? You go up to your other eye for help and they say, oh, I had that problem once, that stinks, and walks away. What do you need? You need a hand. Well, those, those hands, they, they think differently. They like different songs. They, they irritate me. They, they, we don't have anything in common. The problem is you can't get that, that thing out of your eye. You need the hand. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You've all got different gifts. You've got a gift. You've got a gift. Use them together to build up the church. We do that when we try and get everyone together around us to think the same thing that we do, to, to do the same thing that we do. And the problem is there's no diversity in that. And you can't get oneness a built-up, edified oneness without diversity. People of similar interests, similar backgrounds, similar educations, when you put those people together, they already all believe the same thing. There's no growth. And think about our, our service this morning. This worked out perfectly. Grayson, if it were up to Grayson, every song we'd lead would be a new song. Brad, if every song Brad got up here to lead, it'd be an old song. The nice thing about diversity, we get new songs, we get old songs. We all are built up because of that. What honors God is when we can come together despite our differences, in our diversity, and we can grow this body of believers. The Spirit of God wants us to build this family, and we do that when we work together in diversity. Think about Matthew and Simon. Matthew called his, his 12 disciples... And he says, I want Matthew and I want Simon. Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. Simon, a zealot, a zealot wants to overthrow the Roman government. He hated the Roman government. He says, I'm going to take these two people who hate each other. I'm going to make them brothers. I can use them to build up my church, to grow the body of believers. He takes two people through their diversity and he uses it to accomplish his purpose. The Coleman Church of Christ had a meeting about four weeks ago in Oklahoma, and they had three teachers. They had Ian Jones, who's one of the best public speakers, has a lot of good illustrations, analogies, had Sean Zeebock, a rancher, deals with cows all day, 
and Jimmy Hayes, who is a, an evangelist, quite not the, the polished speaker that Ian is. Jimmy's had a rough past. These three different preachers all appeal to so many different people. They can teach things. Jimmy can teach things that Ian has no experience in, that Sean has no experience in. Sean can teach things that Ian and Jimmy have no idea what they're talking about. That's how God can use our, our diversities and build, them up, build the church up and grow the church. There's unity in diversity. I went to the Plainview meeting uh, two weeks ago, and after service, um, I was talking to Jay Henderson. And we, Jay and I had spent 15 minutes or so talking to each other, and I got done talking to Jay, and I looked up, and I was going to go find my group of friends. Problem was, Titus was talking to uh, Joe Carrasco, who just passed away. Um, Mitch Price was talking to D. Teal, an older guy. Jordan was talking to Vicki Hayes. My group of people weren't talking to my group of people. They were out. They, they were young people talking to old people, men talking to women. That's what the group, the body of believers, that's what Ecclesia is about, is finding unity through our diversity. There's oneness when different generations, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different cultures, when they can come together and grow the church. At my granddad's funeral, this man who I had never met before, um, he came up to our family, and this guy was weeping. He was crying, tears flowing down his face. And this man was Hispanic, mid-30s, tattoos rolling down his arms. This man looked nothing like my granddad. Come to find out, this was my granddad's friend. My granddad and him had developed a relationship. He was a member of the church. My granddad had been taking him to his AA meetings in Lubbock for the last couple months because this guy couldn't find a ride. They had developed this relationship together. We had no idea that these men even knew each other. They weren't the same age. They weren't the same um, ethnicity. They didn't have the same background. They didn't have the same problems. But these men were brothers. There's a oneness that comes in the church through diversity. When you see how the gospel can bring people together despite their differences and use it for the building of the church, that's powerful. That's what the gospel's about. As we wrap up this morning, I read a book uh, back in eighth grade, and I've read it since then too, a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And if you haven't read this book, I really encourage you to read this book. What it is, it's, it's a book where this older devil, uh, Screwtape, is writing to his nephew devil, um, about how to try and get this guy to leave the church. He's got this uh, patient who, who's a new convert to Christianity. He's trying to say, well, this is what you do, need to do to get him to leave his faith. And what he goes on, this man had just started going to church. The older devil writes to the younger devil, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. And he goes on to say, you want, him to, you want to get him to leave that church? You want to get him to leave that ecclesia? You start getting him to nitpick. You start getting him to fixate on all the different differences, different problems that are in the church. You get him to quit going to church. You get people to quit inviting him over and being involved in their, each other's lives. 
that's when he's going to leave the church. And you want to know what creates havoc for the church, for us as the community of believers? When you quit showing up, when you aren't involved, when you only check the box on Sunday morning, when people don't desire to be a part of the church. But you, on the other hand, you want to know what creates a thriving ecclesia, a thriving church? 1 Peter chapter 4, 8. Above all, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You have fervent love for each other. You have fervent desire to be around each other. Use your gifts. Everyone's got different gifts. You use those talents together. The church is going to thrive and the church is going to grow when we, when we do that. And so I want to go over a few practical tidbits of, well, how can we do that? And I'm probably going to step on some toes here. Have others over for dinner. We get in the habit of being around, wanting to be around the people that we want to be around and having the same people over every time. Have others, people who you don't normally eat dinner with, have them over. Grow the church that way. Say yes. When someone asks you to do something, even though sometimes it might be inconvenient, say yes. It's hard to get rejected over and over and over again. And eventually people are just going to stop asking. Say yes. I've had people tell me, well, it's too far to go from Canyon to Amarillo. Really? Sometimes it's inconvenient, but say yes. Be early to the assembly. That's, that's hard. That takes breaking some habits. It's hard to arrange an, a church service, an assembly, an ecclesia, when no one's here, when no one shows up until two minutes before the service. You want to be involved, be early. You want to be involved, stay late. Sometimes it takes sacrificing some sleep. And whoever's in charge is probably going to kick, kick me for this. Stay late. Some of the best conversations that I've been a part of biblically have been after church services. That's, that's when you develop the relationship of how are you to how are you? Like, how, how are you doing? Plan an activity. You might say, well, the church that I go to, we never do anything together. Well, change that. Plan something. If no one ever plans anything, nothing's going to get done. Plan a camping trip. Plan a food pantry. Plan a clothing drive. Plan a meal together on a Thursday night for the church. Do something and say yes. When people do that, say yes or they're going to quit doing it. That's what being a part of the community is, being part of the church, being part of the ecclesia. I've been on a lot of great church camping trips, and some of my best memories outdoors are together with the church. So be a member of the ecclesia. The church is God's family. Be a part of it. Don't miss what God has available through the church, through the community of believers that are here. But to do that, you've got to be saved. We talked about the invisible church that makes up the community of believers. To be in that, you've got to be part of the saved. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, all with the purpose of establishing his ecclesia and saving his people, calling his people out of darkness into his light. We are his special people. We've been called out of darkness. This morning, he's calling you. If you haven't obeyed that, he's calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He wants you to be a part of that ecclesia. He wants you to be a part of that community of believers, that group of Christians. If you'd like to be a part of that ecclesia today, you need to understand the gospel. You need to be baptized. Easy steps. If the church can help you in any way, please come as we stand and sing.